Good morning. Would you join me in prayer as, uh, as we come to our time in the Word? Lord, as we take now time to open up your Word, we declare our dependence upon your Spirit. So would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your Word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a privilege uh, to speak to you this morning. Um, If you're new here, my name is Chap Bettis, and uh, I served as an elder here for almost six years, and before that, pastored a church for 25. And in the past, when I've spoken uh, on Sunday morning, I've often taken one or two key verses um, for us to look at and spent quite a bit of time. So... Uh, we looked a while back at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and thinking about what God's word, the Bible, says about itself. And then just this past January, uh, I don't know if you remember the snowstorm where we had met in the afternoon, but we looked specifically at 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and thought about uh, temptation, and those are available on the web. But this morning, I'd like to continue that pattern of looking deeply at one important verse. And it's a verse actually worth memorizing. We'll spend uh, just our time, uh, our sermon time, just walking through it slowly. And it has to do with a vital subject that we need to understand, that you need to understand, and I, I do. And it's the subject of communication. Communication allows communion. Communication creates community. And part of being made in God's image is our ability to communicate deeply with other image bearers. God himself, you may not have thought of this, but God himself is a communicator. He's a speaking God. He is there and he's not silent. He speaks in nature. We read that verse for our, um, for our corporate reading. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Those images from the James Webb telescope are telling you something about God. Not complete, but something. He speaks in our conscience. Every person is born with some of God's law on the hard drive of their conscience. But primarily and best, he, God speaks through his son, Jesus. We've, I don't know if you've noticed the themes of the songs this, this morning. But God speaks through his son. And that's actually what prompted me to think about the subject of this sermon. Because just a few weeks ago, as we read through... And Kevin preached from John. Jesus' best friend wrote these words. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus' best friend is deliberately echoing Genesis 1. And then in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh. Hebrews 1.3 says, In the latter days, God has spoken to us by his Son. 
If you're looking for a sign that God exists, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. His death, his incarnation, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. God also speaks to us in his written word. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. You know, sometimes I think we take this book for granted. But this book reveals great mysteries. It reveals the beginning of the world, the end of the world. It it, it reveals how to connect with God. But not only that, it really gets very practical in our day-to-day problems. God is not there. God is there, and he is not silent. So sometimes... We get too busy hearing other voices, voices in our own head sometimes that drown out God. And we being made in his image, we communicate with other people made in his image. But like everything else, sin has gotten into that mix. Sin has turned the gift of communication into a powerful and dangerous weapon. But the Lord wants to redeem your communication, and my communication, to bring blessing into your life and glory to him. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. That's page 1037 if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just tell you a little background as you're, as you're turning there. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the uh, church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Paul had spent two years planting a church there. But however, in some ways, this is actually his least personal letter because it seems like it's meant to circulate. It's meant for lots of people, lots of other churches to read there. And it's a beautiful letter. It covers every major theme except the second return of Christ. So if you're looking for a place, you're like, I don't know where I should be reading in devotions. Let me just suggest, just read the book of Ephesians for the next 30 days, over and over. It covers every major, almost every major theme of the scripture. And what's easy about it, easy to follow, is it really breaks easily into two sections. Chapters 1 to 3 and 4 to 6. Chapters 1 to 3 is the grand plan of God... For Jesus Christ and his church in eternity past, and then ultimately how he's bringing it together now and into the future. That God is putting everything under the feet of the risen Christ. What's really interesting about chapters 1 to 3 is you can search for something to do and there is nothing to do. Nothing. You'll find it. It's all about what Christ has done. One to three is all about what Christ has done, what God has done, what God is doing. But then in chapter four, Paul transitions the letter. So we have indicatives and imperatives, doctrine and duty, what God has done and what we are to do. Now, let me just stop sidebar here. Religion gets that backwards. Do this, and God will do this. If you're here, you're a visitor. That that is the fundamental difference between the gospel and religion that other churches are preaching. Be good, 
and God will do this. Ephesians shows you, no, it's the other way around. God has done this. Now look in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, God has done this with all the calling you've received. Now walk worthy of it. You've been made a child of God. Now live like a child of God. You don't have to earn being a child of God. You are. God has done that. Now live like it. So how do we live in our new status in our new, as saints? Well, that's what chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6 is about. And I want you to look, if you've got your Bibles open there, to another passage in verse 22 where, where Paul says, talks about us as believers, and he says that we're to take off your former way of life, the old self, that's corrupted by deceitful desires, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created to God, in God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. See, how do we change? Well, Paul's telling it to us right there. We put off, we put in, and we put on. And that's, that is the, that's, how, that's how we become more and more like Jesus. Crucifixion, resurrection. Old, old uh, theologians called it mortification and vivification. Crucifying the flesh, putting it off, being made new in our minds, and putting on the... the the way we're made to be like Christ. So let's look. We're just, we are just going to look at one verse, but I want us to look at the context. So let's start at verse 25. I'll read there. Look at the whole context, and then, then we'll specifically focus on one verse. Again, this is not how we become right with God. This is because he's made us right. This is how we live. We walk worthy. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Because we're members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come out of your mouth. But only what is good for building up someone in need so that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Let me stop there. But in that context, we look at, we see verse 29. No foul language should come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it may give grace to those who hear. There's another translation. The ESV has this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. 
And if we have time, I'll also look at verse 30. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. If we're taking notes, this is the main point. The Lord wants you and your words to increasingly reflect your new nature. God wants your words to increasingly reflect your new nature. Or he wants to sanctify your communication, if you want a shortened version. And how is that? We're just going to go phrase by phrase. Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That'll be the first point. Second, but do speak in a way that builds up. Third, speak as fits the need. And fourth, speak to give grace. You'll see those points. They'll just right out of each phrase of that verse. Let me just stop and take for a moment here. For the rest of the time, I'm going to specifically be talking about verbal speech, words that come out of our mouths. But really, it applies in this day and age to equally to what we post online. So hopefully throughout, although I may not forget to make the application, it's not only what we say, it's, it's what, we, what we type. So let's start with the first point. God wants your words to increasingly reflect your new nature. How? Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Right there. No foul language CSB has. ESV, let no corrupting talk. Let me just back up here for a minute. What the Bible says is that your words and my words are powerful. Your words carry, our words carry the power of life and death. Proverbs 18:21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 12:18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. With all due respect to the medical community, The tongue is just as powerful as the surgeon's knife. A tongue can kill a marriage, injure a child. The tongue is powerful. On the other hand, in John 6, 68, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Words help us understand eternal life. In Romans 10, 9 to 10, how are we saved? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Our words are powerful. They carry the power of life and death. James says the tongue is a fire. It just sets things on fire. So our words are powerful, but Jesus goes deeper, unlike the behavior, behavioral psychologist. And Jesus says, the source of your words and my words are my heart. Matthew 12, 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can say, I didn't mean that. Actually, you did. You may not have meant to say it. You may be sorry you said it, but that, con- that came out of my heart, out of the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks what fills the heart, what's in the heart. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way. The tongue is the hinge 
on which the door into our souls swings open to reveal our spirits. You want to know what's going on in your heart? An indicator, not the only, but it's what comes out of your mouth. So if you put those two together, that my words are powerful and my words reveal my heart, then Jesus, is it no wonder Jesus puts those together and says, because of that, and because the other person that you're speaking to is an image bearer, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be acquitted. Let that verse just rest. Jesus is saying, my words are that powerful. Your words are that powerful. And we're just going gonna, gonna to have like a, a replay of every word we've spoken. In the privacy of your home, over the telephone, our words are that powerful. Why? Communication connects the heart. Communication reveals the heart and communication pierces the heart. And so into that context, now we can understand this verse where, where Paul is saying to the, to the community there, don't let any corrupting or foul talk come out of your mouth. None. We live in an increasingly coarse society. We have politicians and support politicians that are publicly coarse and vulgar. And God says to his image bearers, don't let any, and the word literally there is putrid or rotten talk, come out of your mouth. We have, we have a phrase for it, trash talking, right? Playing basketball, tra- you start trash talking the other guy. God says no trash talking. We'll leave, we'll leave sports out of that for a minute, but anyway. The point is, in life, seriously, no trash talking. And while there are other places that talk about the heart, Paul here is specifically focusing on our words. And the contrast, and certainly you might read that and say, I don't really think I have a problem with foul language. But it's not limited to that. Because the contrast we're going to look at in just a second is building up. So really, it includes any words that don't build up. I like the NIV's translation of this verse. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And that includes things that we might not think of of as foul. For example, one author writes this about Galatians 5.20 when he's talking about the flesh. He says the sinful nature, yes, it produces sins of the body, but it also produces conflict-generating sins of a self-absorbed heart. Hatred. Strife, jealousy, dissension, factions. You could also throw in conflict, what I've called conflict inhibitors. Things like inflammatory inflammatory words. You never, you always. Nitpicking, blame shifting, sarcastic words, provoking words, harsh words, reckless words. 
feeling convicted? Look again in your Bible, because I remember as I first began to wrestle with this verse, I was, I was looking for an asterisk. Is there an asterisk in your Bible? I was looking for an escape clause that said, this verse doesn't apply when, I, when you're feeling pressured. This command is unreasonable if you're being mistreated. This command doesn't apply if my spouse is being unreasonable. If your parents are mistreating you, if your kids are making you angry, this verse doesn't apply to you. If your brother or sister in Christ is making you angry, if someone is pushing your buttons or really hurts you, or it's that time of the month or the boss is being demanding or unfair, or if they're just idiots on the road, this verse doesn't apply. That's not true. You can check your Bible and see if you have a little asterisk or footnote. Mine doesn't, and neither does yours. And so, therefore, when we fail that standard, when we've let unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, then we can and should seek God's forgiveness and his cleansing. We can ask forgiveness of the other. Most disagreements Sharon and I have, I figure I'm about 5% at fault. (laughs) Let the record show I was smiling as I said that. That's the sinful nature, right? It's not really my fault. But if unwholesome words have come out of my mouth, then, then I need to confess that. Then I can do the heart work, asking the Lord to give me a heart increasingly like Jesus that does not revile in return. You see, this verse points us to our need for a Savior. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, we're glad you're here. But I hope as, as we're talking through what scriptures say, you can see why I personally sense the need for a Savior. Why Jesus can say, everyone sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of his glory. My words are so powerful that they hurt the ones I love most. They offend the creator who's giving me breath. They're hurting other image bearers. And I can look back on this week and say, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. And that's true for you as well. That's true for every person in this room. You too have hurt those you love most, offended the one who gives you breath and gave you speech, hurt others that you care about. All of us need our sins forgiven and the power to change. You need your tongue touched by the power of God. So if you've not come to Christ, come to Christ today. He'll wash away your sins. He'll give you a new start. Place your faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And the Holy Spirit will come into you and give you the power to change. I remember an acquaintance say in his testimony that when he became a Christian, he lost half of his vocabulary. Come to Christ today. He will forgive you and change you. 
But for the Christian, God wants our words to increasingly reflect our new nature by not letting any corrupting talk come out of our mouths. And when it does, confessing and repenting of it. That's no wonder the psalmist wrote, set a guard over my lips. Again, there are other places in scripture we could be talking about the heart. And the scripture does talk about the heart. But it also, in this passage, Paul is focusing on our words. Spoken or, or written. But remember the structure we talked about before in chapter 4 to 6? Because it's, it's put off and put on. And look what we find in that next passage. That the way that we, we speak to honor the Lord, increasingly becoming like Jesus, is we speak in a way that builds up. For the New Testament, for sanctification, it's becoming more and more like Jesus. It's thinking like Jesus. It's talking like Jesus. It's it's becoming more and more like Jesus. And what that is, is that's not just a stop. That's that's, That's what we become. Look, just go one verse back. Talk about the transformation. When is a thief not a thief? When he stops stealing. No. Look in verse 28. Let the thief steal no, uh, no longer steal. Instead, what? Do honest work so that he has something to share with anyone. What does a thief want to, doesn't, want to do? He doesn't want to work and he doesn't want to share. Paul says, God says, the way the transformation happens is when you put off and you put on. So you're putting off, in this case, the thief ends up becoming a philanthropist. He starts giving, or she starts giving. So it's not enough just for the Christian just to be quiet. His or her words, our words, are to build up. Remember our verse before, reckless words pierce. What was the second verse, part of that verse? But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue has the power of life. The tongue has so much potential to build up. I mean, that, the theme of, I'd encourage you to do a word study just on edification. That's, that's the word here, to, to build up. We're, we, we build each other up. We're told, Scripture tells you to build yourself up in the most holy faith. That we're to build each other up. Why do we have weak Christians and weak families and weak churches? It's because... They're, we're not, they're not consciously building up and being built up. And so God comes to us and says, don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but instead that we're to speak in a way that builds up. So that can be instruction, that can be counsel, that can be comfort, all sorts of ways that build Build. It could be warning. It can be counsel, uh, admonition. And that's where we need to be careful because God defines what's building up. Loving, even loving disagreement can be edifying as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But the, in the world, we're told that if you disagree with me, you're phobic. You're using hate speech, and it's going to trigger my fragile self-esteem so that I might take my own life. It's not true. God's word tells us what's edifying. 
Jesus was full of grace and truth, and we also are to be full of grace and truth, building up. We can disagree in love. Now, maybe you're saying, I don't think I have a problem. I don't, I don't know if I really have a problem with coarse talking or foul language. But let me ask you this. Do your words build up? Do, my, is things, do things come out of my mouth that build others up? And I think there are two temptations here. One is to under-talk, and the, and the other is to over-talk. So maybe you're tempted to under-talk. Okay, so you come in, you pull out your shelf in the pew, and you go, I've done my duty, I'm at church. Right? You're under-talking big time. I get that. I get that, believe me, as an introvert, I get that. This past week, Sharon and I were uh, preaching up in, or I was preaching in Vermont, and we, and we took some time away for our anniversary. And the place we were staying had a pool. It was, it was nice. It was great. But next to us was a family with two young kids, and, the, and they were having a great time in the pool, and the dad was just, he was disconnected. He was checking his phone the whole time. Now, I'm not, I'm not judging that family. Going on vacation is very exhausting. I get that. And, but I'm just saying, at some point, some attention with your kids would have been a blessing. And again, I don't know the whole story, but it's, illustri- it's uh, illustrative of a disconnected and an under-talking person. Perhaps I've got my, my walls up. I've been hurt before, and so I'm not going to be hurt again. But you know what? When you put your walls up so that people can't hurt you, you can't edify them. You can't love them. So one temptation is to under-talk. Another temptation here is just to, to over-talk, to be a chatterer. I mean... You could talk about nothing all day, right? God has given you this gift and you just love to, to use it. So you can talk about everything and anything. God has given you the gift of speech to build up others. We, that's why we gather. One of the reasons we gather on Sunday or in small groups or one-to-one is to build each other up. So scripture tells us, stir each other up, that it will edify and build up each other. Proverbs nineteen twenty seven says, if we stop listening to instruction, words, we're going to stray from the truth. So our words are meant to build each other up. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, no, you can't ever joke around. I'm not, you know, in other words, there's, there's all sorts of different types of of good communication. But God here is saying, take a look at your communication. Over time, though, again, God wants to sanctify your communication. So over time, you become a more skilled edifier. So how do we do that? Well, that brings us to the third point. How, how, do, how do we speak words in a way that reveals our new nature? One is, you can see that, right there in the next phrase. We speak words, this is the third point, speak words that fit the need. Now let me just back up here. One way you can study your Bible easily, you don't have to know Greek or Hebrew. One way you can study your Bible is to put English translations side by side. 
And, and good English translations generally agree very close. So you have one word has this flavor, another word has that flavor. And you know, like, you're, you're getting a little of the flavor of the original language. That's a great way to study the Bible. However, when good translations disagree, you know that something, uh, the translators had, had to make a choice. And in this case, the CSB says that we're to build up what? Someone in need, right? You see that, see that phrase? Someone in need. The ESV says, as fits the occasion. So one says someone in need. The other has fits the occasion. That's a pretty big difference. What's the reason for that? Is it the need of the moment or the need of the occasion? Well, well, the answer is because the word literally is fit the need. That our words are to build up as fits the need. And it's not clear. Is it of the person or of the moment? And so I'm going to split the difference and talk to both of them because Scripture speaks to us that way. One way we can speak is appropriate to the situation. The timing. Husbands, have we ever said something, or wives, where it was the right thing at the wrong time? Right? It wasn't what was said, it was when it was said. Ecclesiastes tells us the wise in heart knows the proper time and procedure. Even Proverbs 25.20. Like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Singing song is great. Singing songs to someone who's mourning is terrible. So God is talking about the timing. We can't just say, well, I got it off my mind. What he does with it is his problem. That's not Christian communication. It's thinking about, is this the best time? But not only that, let's think about, does it fit the need of the person? Godly communication is skillful. Proverbs says, how beautiful is an apt word. Let me just ask you this. How do, how do we become in, increasingly skilled? What is the most basic communication love, uh, skill? If you could learn one basic communication, what skill? What is it? It's not how you speak. It's how you listen. How do I listen? Proverbs 18, 13. He who speaks before listening, done that, it's to his folly and shame. You speak before listening, you mind read. I know what my teenager's going to say before he even says it. Proverbs says you're foolish. James says be quick to listen, slow to speak. How many misunderstandings happen because we're trying to have a $100 conversation in a 25-cent moment? We're trying to squeeze in a very important conversation. So listening takes takes time. It takes questions. It takes energy. Ever done the, just the blank stare? I'm not saying anything, but my mind is someplace else. She's talking to me. I know she's talking to me, but I'm thinking about something, something else. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I may be uh, uh, hearing, but I'm not listening. Proverbs 20 verse five, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters But a person of understanding draws them out. How do I I draw out this person? There's different different levels of communication. Cliche, how you doing? 
information, what do you do for work? But then you start getting down to the heart level where people really live. That's, that's, that's good questions draw them out. Someone said this way, you can tell a man is clever by his answers. You can tell whether a man is wise by his questions. Questions trump the answers. Do I want, do I want to draw this other person out? I've been guilty. Perhaps you've been guilty. Rather than using a surgeon's scalpel, I end up bludgeoning with a club, verbal bludgeoning. Do you know Jesus asked over 300 questions? It's just an interesting Bible study, just to go through and look at how he used questions to teach, to help. So the third way that we, that we grow is we, we speak edifying words that fit the, the need of the person or the moment. And look, look forth there. We speak in a way that pleases the Lord as we speak words that give grace. Like, you know those little balloons? Like, you can just imagine, like, this little balloon of grace is going out as you're comforting someone or as you're speaking to build up. We have received so much grace. Can't we give grace to others in our words? I know uh, one common way of talking about communication is putting deposits in an emotional bank account. And I think that's a, that's a good uh, a way of, of understanding what Paul is saying here. That we can speak out of love. We can speak out of grace. We can make deposits. See, as Christians, we want to take responsibility for the impact of our words. A good communicator thinks about how are they understanding? Have you ever, have you ever thought, uh, I said this, but she heard that? I didn't say that, but that's what she heard. I said something else. But as a Christian, as, as, as he's saying, Paul is saying that our words should give grace, I want to take responsibility, not total responsibility, but I want to listen for the impact. So, Often we fall back on the intent of our words rather than looking at the impact of our words. What's the impact of my words? Let me give you just one very practical example of this. Thinking about what's the impact. You know, I know it's standard practice in many churches that when someone's unhappy, they fire off an email to the pastor. I am very thankful that in my years of pastoring for for 25 years, I only received two or three of those. And as far as I know, that doesn't characterize our church. Mount Hope, I won't say anything about whether that characterizes you or not. I know it doesn't. But having said that, I want you to think through with me just as one application. In other words, disagreements are going to happen when there are people together. That's, that's fine. That's understandable. There needs to be communication and clearing up the air. That's fine. That's understandable. But let me ask you this. Does a long, assertive email give grace to the person on the other end? I'll tell you the answer to that. It's more like be, uh, when I received those two or three, it was like being an NFL quarterback and being blindsided. And I just got buried by a 350-pound lineman. It doesn't. I used to say, good news in writing, bad news in person. We're going to have disagreements. 
We're going to have disagreements. Let's talk about them rather than write about them. Well, that's a negative example. I want want us to think about, finally, that just this idea that the Lord is going to reward grace-filled words. If he's going to reward the smallest cup of water given in his name, don't you think he's going to reward the, the time you take to call someone to give comfort to them? The time you take in preparation, the, those who are instructing our kid, don't you think the Lord is going to reward that? Because words are so important. Let me just take a, a moment. Let, let me, we have time here. To, look, look just one more, that next verse. What's true if this doesn't happen? Verse 30 is very interesting because Paul says that when there's bitterness and rage, when our words are hurting each other, verse 30, Paul says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. So it's interesting. We've been talking, and I understand this whole message is, is, is a lot been very horizontal, thinking about what, what characterizes words of those of us who call on the name of Christ. What, how should we be growing? But Paul connects it with the Holy Spirit right in the middle of this whole section on ethics. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, not a force like the Star Wars, but a person who has desires, speaks, grieves. He, he gives us new life. He regenerates us. He gives us the power to defeat sin. He leads and convicts us. He, he lives within us. He indwells us. So when we're speaking that hurting another image bearer or our church, our church, a church, in this case, Paul's writing to a whole church. When a church is acting this way, the spirit is grieved. So we dare not neglect his interest in our, in our speech. We want, we want the Spirit's blessing in our words, in our homes, in our families, in our churches, in our interactions. Our God is a speaking God. He is there and he's not silent. He speaks. He's spoken through his son. He speaks in the word of God. He cares about you personally. And he's given you a great gift, the gift of speech. And he calls you to use that for his glory. So think about, as those of us who are saints, what's coming out of our mouths? How can we come to confess, take responsibility, grow more and more, become, become better communicators in 2022 than we were in 2021? More self-controlled, more edifying, more skilled in building up the church, in building up our kids, in building up our spouse, in building up our friends. That's how a saint lives. That's how a community of saints live. And that's how communication creates community. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a speaking God. You have spoken to us in Jesus Christ. We can hear your voice in your word. This this book that is alive, this 2,000-year-old book that still speaks, that still changes lives today. 
And Lord, not only does it give us the beginning, the end of the world, the heavenly mysteries, but it gets very practical with us. Perhaps, perhaps there's some listening who have injured those closest to them. Lord, would you grant us the grace to ask forgiveness, to show forgiveness to, to one another? Lord, would you fill us with words that, that build up, not, not in some false, gross way, but just real, sincere words that are helpful? Lord, I pray for our Grace Harbor. I pray for Mount Hope. I pray, Lord, for the families here. I pray for the saints here who are meeting up one-to-one. Lord, may our words reflect your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.